Support for Think Humanities is brought to you by the Spalding University School of Creative and Professional Writing. Think Humanities, a podcast for people who love history, philosophy, culture, literature, civic dialogue, and the arts. Think Humanities from Kentucky Humanities, where we have been telling Kentucky's story for 49 years. Here's your host, Bill Goodman. Loretto, Kentucky is the last stop for Museum on Main Street's Crossroads, Change in Rural America This Year. The Smithsonian exhibit has been in seven locations, and if you are anywhere near Marion County before the end of July, please stop by the Loretta City Hall. At each mom's location throughout the state, a local committee is charged with putting together their own exhibit showcasing aspects of the community over the years. The folks in Marion County have done a great job. Loretta is an easy place to get to, but not if you're from Connecticut or North Carolina. Two of the committee members who brought Crossroads to Loretto are Susanna Pyatt, the curator of the Loretta Heritage Center, and Ayla Toussaint, archivist and director of the Heritage Center. Both took a circuitous route to get to Loretto, but they're both glad they did. You're in an airplane and... Your seatmate, uh, because you're delayed and taking off, says, by the way, what do you do for a living? What brings you to the airplane today? Uh, Susanna, how, how, would, how would you respond to describe what you do in Loretto? All right. Well, I'm the curator for a small museum called the Loretto Heritage Center. It's with um, the Sisters of Loretto and um, Community of Catholic Women and Religious and we're in rural Kentucky. Um, but at the museum, I take care of the artifacts and the exhibits at the museum. Hey. So I also work with the Sisters of Loretto at the Heritage Center. I just took over as the director, um, but my schooling is as an archivist. So at the Heritage Center, I mainly take care of the documents that tell the story of the Sisters of Loretto. So that's administrative papers, but also sisters' personal papers and diaries, letters to and from sisters, and everything in between. Um, and I use those documents to tell the story of Loretto through written work and also through museum exhibits. Now, Susanna, not everyone has been to Loretto uh, listening to this podcast. Whether they're in the United States or the world or another part of Kentucky. so. Tell us about Loretto, um, uh, some of the history of where we are today. All right. Um, the town of Loretto dates back, I think, to the mid-19th century. Um, it's a, a small town still. Um, the population is between 600 and 700 people. Um, but what people who live here will tell you is really remarkable about living here is the sense of community and how everyone supports each other here. Um, and to me, one of the most interesting parts of the history here is that it's um, very heavily Catholic, which is not something that most people expect for rural Kentucky. Um, but originally this area was founded by Catholic settlers coming from Maryland in the 1780s and 1790s. And so that's why there's so many Catholic churches here and also the Sisters of Loretto. Is the uh, Catholicism still thriving in uh, the 
area that we know of, uh, the, uh, the monastery, um, the Gethsemane uh, monks are still uh, active, I understand, and I, but I just learned this morning that the sisters aren't uh, accepting any more uh, nuns into the, the, the mother house. Tell me a little bit about the, the growth of Catholicism in this area. Right. So, like, predominantly the families in the area are Catholic, and the Catholic communities here are still very strong, even though maybe, like, church attendance numbers aren't um, super high. But again, we're in a rural area, so the population itself is pretty low here. Um, there's a number of Catholic orders in the, the three counties that are known as the Kentucky Holy Land. There's the Sisters of Loretto, the Sisters of Charity of Nazareth, um, a Dominican order at St. Catherine's and the Abbey of Gethsemane, and they all have really long histories in this area. But like most um, Catholic religious orders, they don't have a whole lot of people coming into the orders anymore. Um, they may have a couple people who still want to join. Um, Loretto, again, is pretty much closed to having new people come in as sisters, but there's a co-membership program. Um, so that has people who don't take vows, they don't have to be Catholic, they don't have to be female, um, who can work with the sisters towards um, their missions and keep the mission of Loretto going, even if the vowed order um, eventually declines. Ella, uh, what, um, what brought you here? Tell me about your background, your scholarship, uh, what you studied, where you've worked, and what eventually brought you to this uh, tiny, uh, beautiful place in Kentucky? Sure, well, I have a very winding story. So I actually grew up in the Northeast, um, mainly in Connecticut and also New Hampshire. Um, so as I was going through school and trying to decide what I wanted to do with my life, I knew that I really wanted to work with stories. I decided that being an archivist and working with people's stories from the past was what I wanted to do. So I applied to programs um, in several different colleges that had an archival program focus. So I did my undergrad at the University of South Carolina and I got a bachelor's degree in history with minors in religious studies and anthropology. Um, as soon as I graduated, I went into a master's program to get a master's of information and library science with a concentration in archives and records management. And so basically that's library school and I'm a librarian for one of a kind papers. Um, during that time, I had several different internships in different museums. Um, some of my favorites were at the Smithsonian Center for Folklife and Cultural Heritage in Washington, D.C., and also at the FDR Presidential Library up in Hyde Park, New York. Um, after I graduated, um, I was applying to different places all over the country. I did not have a place that I wanted to land, and I ended up here at Loretto. I loved their story. I loved that it was an active community with members that I could talk to as I was taking care of their records. Um, and I just loved what they were doing, so I picked up and I moved to Kentucky. Uh, Susanna, tell me about your, uh, your scholarship, your background, your schooling, uh, and um, what brought you to Loretto. So like Ayla, I have a bit of a winding story. I grew up in the Piedmont area of North Carolina. Um, I chose to go to college for history and anthropology out in Oklahoma at the University of Oklahoma. 
um, and started getting more and more interested in religious history through my studies there. Um, I'd been reading a lot of like utopian literature um, and finding out about communal societies in that way. And I've just been really interested in how people actually live out religious beliefs um, and also um, ideals for kind of the perfect society. So I went to grad school for folk studies at the, um, sorry, at Western Kentucky University because um, I knew I wanted to do museum work and I wanted to work probably with museum collections. Um, and I wasn't really sure if I wanted to do specifically like religious history or local history, um, but folk life seemed like a good way to get at like actual people's experiences rather than like the more formal history of like wars and famous people and things like that. Um, so I went to Western Kentucky. I was very fortunate that Western is like 20 minutes away from South Union Shaker Village. So I volunteered, interned, um, did research at South Union for throughout my uh, master's degree. And then when I started looking at jobs after my master's, um, my ideal job was to work with museum collections and specifically with a religious history or a communal studies site. And I wanted to stay in kind of the Indiana, Ohio, Kentucky area because I really like living here. And very fortunately, the job at Loretto opened up right as I was graduating. Um, and it's perfect because it is religious history and communal studies in a rural area because I don't like cities in Kentucky um, and working with museum collections. So both of you are comfortable and enjoy living in rural Kentucky. It's definitely been an adjustment, but yes, I do enjoy the landscape and the slower pace of life. Um, I do have to drive a little bit to get to those bigger box stores, but I enjoy that there's not a lot of traffic around me. Susanna, is there, um, is there still a search for the utopian uh, lifestyle um, among uh, communal living groups? Um, uh, are, there are they still thriving in some parts of the world? Oh yeah, there's always new um, intentional communities is what they're usually referred to now. Um, so a lot of them are less, and they're, they're still idealistic, but except that like utopia probably won't be achieved. <laughs> um, but yeah, there's always new waves of um, intentional communities and utopianism that are coming out um, and people founding communities. The question that uh, some people might have as they drive by or hear about uh, crossroads, change in rural America, uh, what's going on at the Loretto City Hall, um, how do you describe that to someone if the question uh, comes up, uh, Ayla? What do you tell people about what this exhibit can can show them, can teach them, uh, can create uh, discussion and, and good uh, conversation about what's going on in America. So what I tell people about this exhibit is that it's a two-part exhibit. So the first part is about rural America 
in general, very broadly, not focused on a specific area. And it's talking mainly about the changes in the past century. So changes, good or bad, and how people have reacted to and adjusted to those changes um, and taken them on as challenges or as opportunities. And then the second part of the exhibit has that same kind of focus, but it's more specifically about Western Marion County, so this area that we are in. Um, and the information for that was gathered mainly through oral histories with people who have lived here for their whole lives. Um, obviously, Susanna and I are not from here, so we really had to rely on that local perspective. Were people ever reluctant not to talk to you um, about the history of either their family, themselves, or the area? I found that people were very open. Obviously, there are some people that you contact and they don't know who you are. You have a different phone number than this area, so they might just not mm -hmm. respond to you. But the people who we were able to get in contact with were very open. Um, they were excited to share their history with us and to bring us into this area. And we had, we were working with a planning committee, so it wasn't just Ayla and me or just the Heritage Center staff who was working on this project. It was a lot of local partners as well. Um, and they were certainly invaluable to the project because um, without some of them doing oral histories, they really are the ones who have the local contacts and the local connections um, to get people really um, invested in the Crossroads project and getting this exhibit up and doing the research and oral histories for it. As I look at the, uh, the original schedule, um, you were, number one, you were going to lead the Crossroads exhibits, um, exhibit in uh, Kentucky uh, when Kentucky Humanities and the Smithsonian uh, uh, brought it to the Commonwealth. Um, way back um, in the, the two zero year, uh, which I've heard somebody say, we're just going to skip that year altogether on the calendar. We'll just jump right from <laughs> 19 to 21, but that's not possible. Um, you did, um, uh, you were to open during, uh, during the pandemic, uh, the, the beginnings of the, of the pandemic. Um, how did you pivot? What did you do that uh, uh, the decision was made? We helped you make that, I think. But uh, tell me a little bit about uh, how difficult that was. Well, originally we had planned to start in March and April with doing a lot of the research for the local portion of the exhibit. So going to people, like interviewing them in person, also having community collecting events where people could bring their photos and we could scan them and hear their stories that way, which with the pandemic obviously halted a lot of that. So we got to the summer and realized that the pandemic wasn't going to go away after a couple weeks or a couple months. And we're really scrambling to be able to do the work that needed to go into the exhibit. And plus, um, what we kind of made a desperate call to the Smithsonian for was that we wouldn't be able in September to have opened the exhibit to people for people to come in and visit in person. Um, so we were disappointed to have to move the exhibit, um, but I think it's really been of huge benefit to us because as things have started to reopen in the spring, um, we've been able to do interviews with people and we had several weeks where we had um, scanning days at City Hall and people could come in. Um, we had over 30 people bringing photographs to be scanned. 
Um, and we've really been able to craft as a, um, the planning committee as a team has been able to craft a much stronger exhibit that way. Let's uh, pause here and go into the exhibit and uh, talk about a couple of things that you're most proud of. We'll have more from Loretto right after this word from our underwriter for Think Humanities podcast, Spalding University. At Spalding University's School of Creative and Professional Writing, students develop mastery of the writing skills, highly prized in today's workplace, including arts and humanities organizations, government agencies, corporations, and small businesses. A professional writing student will explore opportunities writing for trade and consumer media, including reviews, profiles, interviews, and articles for sports, food, travel, health and science, and other publications. Learn more at spalding.edu slash schoolofwriting or email schoolofwriting at spalding.edu. We're in the exhibit area now, and Susanna, this is the beginning of uh, the work that all of you and the committee uh, did. And we start with a, uh, a, a display of Crossroads Change in Rural America, but this is the one that uh, specifically is talking about uh, Kentucky and, and rural Kentucky in um, Marion memories uh, that you have. Uh, there is even a query code that people can scan. So tell me a little bit about this, and uh, in particular, the, the towns that surround uh, Loretto that are included in this area, that you've got a nice map here that, that marks those. Right, so we're talking about Western Marion County here in Central Kentucky. And so the communities that that includes is Loretto, Raywick, Highview, Holy Cross, Manton, St. Francis, St. Joe, and St. Mary's. And a lot of those are centered around churches, um, as where a lot of those communities come from, and originally schools too that were connected with the churches, though the, most of those have consolidated now. And we're going to move from uh, this uh, uh, display to, uh, we just ended up talking a little bit about the, the pandemic of uh, 2020. Uh, and this is the uh, 1918 flu and how devastating it was to all of America, but certainly uh, of Kentucky. So uh, again, um, uh, it looks like uh, ripped from the headlines. You have a, a Lebanon Enterprise story written on Friday, November 1st, 1918. Tell me a little bit about this. Yeah, well, our friends at the library were able to pull up a lot of the newspapers from 1918 through 1920, and it was eye-opening to see just how many people in the area died from the flu. And a lot of them were teenagers and young adults. It's not who you typically expect um, to get sick, to get fatally sick. And then also involved with the 1918 flu epidemic was that the Sisters of Loretto sent um, a number of volunteer nurses. They weren't actually trained to be nurses, but they volunteered to do the work um, to the coal mine camps in eastern Kentucky and also to um, Camp Taylor in Louisville. And there's a picture of some of the, uh, some of the nuns um, uh, with a sign that says, Everybody Welcome Knights of Columbus Building Number 2. So they were uh, on their way somewhere. Uh, I don't know where, what the location of that is. Um, Ayla, what would you like to take us to and tell us about? Sure. So I 
I'm very proud of the local family photos that we were able to collect and put up as part of the exhibit. Um, so we can walk over there if you'd like. And these, uh, again, are a display of, uh, now was this the day that uh, people brought their, their photos to be scanned? And so tell me about that and how many people showed up. Yes, so we had about two weeks of scanning days here in Loretto City Hall. We brought our large format scanners here and were able to scan at high resolution. Um, we had over 30 people come and donate photos for this exhibit and then also the military display that will be up permanently in City Hall. Um, so we got hundreds of photos from these community members, including family photos, photos of community events, um, photos of service members and photos of areas in the county over time. So these five panels are framed photos of families and different events in Loretto and the surrounding areas. Um, we wanted to show the Western Marion County family, um, so that's why we chose a family photo kind of feel. And they're all labeled and, and with, with the proper names and, and as close to the dates uh, as you can get. I guess all of them have a date? Yes, most of them have dates and almost all of them have names. Um, it was based on the information that the people bringing the photos gave us. So sometimes they didn't know who the person was, but we're hoping that over the course of the month, people who come in might be able to recognize the photos. So I'm looking here and I can see that someone added a name to one of the unknown photos already. So that's wonderful. Now let's look behind you because this is, uh, you told me a few minutes ago, this is one of your favorites. Uh, also, t tell me about this display. Yes, so this is a little quiz that we wanted to do to um, have some interactive parts of the exhibit. So it's called, How Well Do You Know Your Bourbon History? And there are, are several questions um, printed on uh, barrel tops. And so you flip up the barrel top to see the answer below. Um, I really love it. I think that it came out very interestingly. And there are easier questions and harder questions. So one example is, where did the term moonshine come from? I'm gonna have to look underneath and um, read the answer. Answer, moonshine refers to the illicit liquor traditionally created at night by the light of the moon. Okay, I accept that. <laughs> Um, so, for both of you, uh, from North Carolina and from the Northeast, uh, Connecticut, I believe, uh, did you know a lot about bourbon before you moved to Loretto? Absolutely nothing. I knew almost nothing, yes. So, I've been able to go on some of the tours, but I still do not consider myself an expert by any means. There's also a display that you pointed out before. Uh, there is a... I'm gonna say a fairly new distillery, at least as far as uh, the tourism industry is concerned, uh, but it goes back uh, many, many, many decades. Uh, the J.W. Dant Distillery, which uh, has just been opened up, but again, it goes back a long way. What's uh, in this glass case? All right, well, we have some items on loan from uh, the Wally Dant family, and they're descended from J.W. Dant, who opened um, a distillery near Loretto in the 19th century and then Wally Dant has kind of resurrected that family legacy with Log Still Distillery which is out at Gethsemane. 
Um, so we have a barrel stencil and employee pins, um, one of the original bourbon bottles and some advertisements for the Dant Distillery. Um, we have some items from Maker's Mark and also the distilleries that were precursors to the Samuels family um, starting Maker's Mark. One of my favorite photos is a photo from the WH Head Distillery, which was in Raywick. It closed with Prohibition, and we actually got a photo from um, one of the descendants of that family of the last bottles being removed from that distillery just before Prohibition started. Ella, I think you have something else over here that you wanted to point out. Of course, there's so much in your local display, and I think we ought to pause right here and also uh, say that it's not only the local display, it's crossroads from the Smithsonian. Um, gosh, I don't know. There's so much to, to learn, to read, uh, to come back and, and visit again. So uh, anybody listening to the podcast uh, should make the trip and, um, and spend some time here, not only looking at the great work that you did on the local display, but the, the national display uh, too. So you had something else, uh, maybe one or two other things that you wanted to point out? Yes, so one aspect that we're very proud of is this oral history display that we have. So as we were gathering information, we were interviewing a lot of people. And while a lot of that information made it into the exhibit um, in the text panels that we did, um, and we were able to quote some of them, a lot of that just didn't make it into any other parts. So what we were able to do is take excerpts of these oral histories pair them with photos and have them on a touchscreen computer uh, by category so people can listen to these oral histories um, and learn a little bit more about Western Marion County that way from the people who live here. And we're standing in front of it looks like some artwork from some school children. Tell, tell me about this. Yes, so the Western Marion County Elementary School asked students um, what their favorite part of their community was and asked them to fill out a little paper and then also draw photos or pictures for us. So we were able to hang a lot of that artwork throughout the exhibit as well. Um, there's so much and um, I, the only way that uh, I think you would uh, agree that we should encourage people uh, to know more about what you've done here is to come and visit. I mean, that, there's really no other way. And uh, I'm not sure, I'm, I'm gonna ask this last question, uh, having no idea what your response is, but so many uh, young people go to school these days, uh, major, uh, maybe go to graduate school, maybe go to law school and then never practice a day of, of law. Um, you went to school in a specific uh, area that a lot of people would think, uh, why waste your time? Um, it seems like to me that uh, you went to school, went, went to college, went to graduate school, and you are practicing what you learned. Uh, am, I, am I correct about it, uh, Susanna? Is this something that it's almost like a, for at least now in your life, a, a dream job? Yes, absolutely. Um, I went to school with the intention, I think that helped, of trying to go into museum work. Um, and so I was able to kind of direct my classes and my internships that way. And also with that, figure out what part of museum work I wanted um, and be able to get my dream job. And Ayla? 
I'd agree, yes. I am so excited to be at Loretto. It's the exact kind of institution that I wanted to go into um, right from when I started college. I was really lucky to know what I wanted to do as I was going in. Well, thank you both for the tour. Uh, we wish you the best uh, with this uh, display and uh, everything else that you're going to be uh, doing at Loretto. I was in Lebanon this morning and uh, somebody mentioned to me that uh, there's something uh, going on in Loretto. Those people have got it together. There's, there, there, there are several things that are happening over there. So uh, congratulations to you and the other people who are really uh, putting Loretto on the map. Well, thank you for bringing Crossroads to here. Yes, thank you so much. Think Humanities is a podcast from Kentucky Humanities, where we have been telling Kentucky's story for 49 years. Think Humanities is available at kyhumanities.org, iTunes, and SoundCloud. Join us next week for a new episode of Think Humanities.